In episode 27, we were fortunate enough to speak with Dr. George Muchniki. It's a contact that Isaac brought to the table that has opened up an opportunity for preventative genetic testing. Isaac and I were gifted a test kit and we were able to find out what our risk factors are for four of the main diseases that do take out people's lives on a daily basis. Today, we get to review the results, our personal results with Dr. Muchniki, and here is the outcome. You are entering the Age Rebels Revolution. The intelligent podcast for over 40s who want to live their best life and defy your numbers. We are your hosts, Summer Bentley and Isaac Xavier. Come on in. Our guest today is Dr. George Muchnicki. He is the Executive Director and Chief Medical Officer for Genetic Technologies, a world leader in genetic risk assessment. He was central in developing testing that combined inherited and non-inherited risk under one umbrella with a focus on major causes of morbidity and mortality in oncology, metabolic and cardiac diseases. George's passion is curing cancer through early detection. With early detection of cancers, the survival rate is up to 95%, where it is only 25% when it's caught in the later stages. We had George on our podcast earlier this year, and he generously offered Tink and I full DNA testing. Today, we will be discussing our results and how it applies to others and what measures he advises people to take if their testing reveals moderate to high risk. Thank you so much, George, for giving us the opportunity to do these amazingly comprehensive tests. And I came up with a couple of high risk, but the wonderful Tinkerbell had no risk with any of the four that we tested for. And my thought was, well, there's not much to talk about, but there is quite a bit to talk about, yes? Absolutely, there is. And uh, Isaac, thank you very much for having me on your show or your podcast. And uh, how good is it to taste 21st century medicine? Fa- yeah, so fantastic. Like you said, you were tw- a GP of 24 years and you were tired of always being behind the eight ball, chasing yeah. disease. Now you want to get out in front of it and to be proactive. So go you. That's right. So you, you've got to grab control. And uh, the doctors, in my opinion, are your partners and we work together as a team. I, I, I'd love to address Tinkerbell's results. Good. Uh, because... Having an average risk is a terrific result, but remember one thing. Average means that you can still develop these diseases. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the point of average for your physician or your clinician is how to create a screening program for you, which is consistent with your risk. And, and a large part of your risk is your age and your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that even if your risk is shown to be average by our genetic and clinical risk scores, it doesn't mean that uh, you should stop working to your best ability to be be healthy and to be your best. And so 
uh, I think it's it's interesting that I spoke to a friend of mine who whose blood results were amazing, mm-hmm. uh, low, and uh, after receiving the good news, he dropped his guard and his latest results this morning were very bad and he, he rang oh. me to ask me for, for my opinion. And, mm. and I think that, see, that's, that's him losing control and the last thing I'd want to do is intervene with medication. Let's, let's do it with lifestyle changes now and that's the yeah. beauty of Tinkerbell's situation that she, she, number one, needs to be compliant with the guidelines for all the different cancers and heart disease and diabetes, the various checks. Mm-hmm. And right now the guidelines are fantastic because even though they are a little bit one-size-fits-all, at least we've got something. We've got a system which allows you to be screened, uh, allows you to improve your numbers, encourages you participate in certain activities and but we of course we can do better and uh, and i think that uh, from what i'm seeing there's going to be greater involvement uh, with uh, government uh, health insurers uh, employers uh, because as the evidence becomes validated and um, we can calibrate very accurately for local populations. We'll see the runs on the board. So just to, to, that's my short answer to mm-hmm. a normal result. Stay vigilant and try and be extremely below normal next time you get tested. You know, and, always aim for a better result. And average doesn't mean average risk doesn't mean no risk. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you still have to be vigilant. So even things like um, ovarian cancer, where we know that very non-specific symptoms. So even things like that, if a woman was to get to come back average, what would she still knowing that it's a very hard cancer to detect? What would you advise a woman who, like Tinkerbell, came back as average for ovarian cancer? Well, you you, you know that there, there are programs which are to do with women's health and mm-hmm. pelvic. Screening and every pap smear examination, uh, certainly for women, I think over the age of 40, or where there's been a family history 10 years prior to that event, should be examined internally. Mm-hmm. By, that's a starting point. You can actually feel the ovaries when you do a pelvic examination following a pap smear. Okay. That, that, that has benefits, but it, it's just part of the screening. And certainly we have screening tools right now, which include blood tests and ultrasounds. So, um, again, the women who are most screened are the ones who have genetic mutations, BRCA mutations. Mm-hmm. There's been a family history, so either familial or inherited. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, they only represent 15% of the cancers. So uh, I think that you need to form that relationship with your doctor. You need to make it very clear that you, you are very open to minimizing risk and you want, if there is going to be a, a, a sad turn of events or a disease on the horizon, you'd like to identify it early because it's probably the only time you experience a cure. A surgical removal of cancer early is an absolute cure in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, you, you did a hard one with ovarian cancer, mm-hmm. and, but a very, a very dramatic one because the rate of poor outcome uh, is, is very high. But let, let, me, let me tell you something very interesting. So GTG, which is the company that I work with, mm-hmm. amongst, I'm sure, many other groups are working very hard to uncover people who are high risk so you can implement these strategies. And this, uh, it's coincident, Isaac, it's coincidental that we're talking about this because we only released it recently. And I, I hope you don't think that it's a it's a shameless plug, but it's a very no. This is great. Like the service you're providing is fantastic, and it's worth every cent. Yes. Yeah, so mm. we what we did at GTG, we we created a product which is called HBOC, Hereditary Breast and Ovarian Cancer Test. Ooh. And what we do is we've combined all the genes that are known to be associated with inherited disease. And then we've combined all the SNPs that are known to be associated with non-inherited disease, and we've created a single targeted test. Could you explain now, that? Because a lot of people won't understand that, that SNPs. Yes, yes, and uh, with pleasure. So most inherited diseases are due to some sort of a defect in, in a gene, which is a major part of our operational system, like a, like a computer. And there's operational systems within which are important for um, repair, cellular repair, uh, healing, uh, trauma management, and so on. And often these break down early, which is the repair genes, and uh, they allow these mutations to appear and with very dramatic results. So in younger women uh, with strong family histories, you see this pattern. And mm-hmm. this is associated with a defect in a major operating system called a gene. Mm-hmm. One, of course, the most famous gene in the world is the BRCA1 gene, which is the gene that um, the a- actress... Angela Jolie. Angelina Jolie, of course. Mm-hmm. And that she announced to the world that she had that gene. and she went on to have a double mastectomy. So she mm. decided to be proactive. But, yeah. you know, that, so to cut a long story short, we, we've combined these tests. So breast and ovarian, inherited and non-inherited, as well as familial, because we, we take a, a clinical history as part of our test. And the, the reason we created this is, number one, to reduce the usual hurdles, which is cost. It'll be a fraction of the price of what you'd have to pay in the old days mm-hmm. and the complexity. So you had to go to one one place to have one test, somewhere else to have another test. And to be honest, we only released the ovarian non, non-inherited products test mm-hmm. six months ago. So these, these are cutting edge developments and, and this is the way uh, medicine is definitely going to go, as shown by recent relationships between some of our partners, which is Melbourne University, mm-hmm. and the trials they're running right now, which is how to implement these types of tests into general practice and create a preventative health 
before the event health system. And uh, look, it's, it's kind of like saying the obvious, uh, save lives, yeah. <laughs> less disease, less suffering, less chemotherapy, it's smaller hospitals, more screening. And um, I, I, I'd love to address the two risk areas which showed up on your profile. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, yeah, because that, that, they are interesting because I've already got, uh, shall we say, not issues that are affecting me physically, but I'll talk to you about it in a moment as far as what I discovered last year with regard to the coronary heart disease and um, the colorectal cancer, which both came up a high risk for me. Right. So, but, so there's obviously a consistent pattern mm -hmm. using old screening and new screening to suggest that you might be at risk. Yeah. And so as soon as that appears, then we have the instruments to, to start looking for early disease and managing it if it is there. And if it's not there, advising you how you can minimize these risky programs. Mm -hmm. So GP will be all over this like yeah. a rash. Yeah. And he will order certain tests, which will identify the degree of damage to your coronary arteries yep. and then we'll take it from there from mm. a colorectal perspective the approach is a little bit different uh, we look at your blood mm -hmm. and we also look to see if there's any blood in your stools and uh, we would then follow up with a colonoscopy which is an examination mm -hmm. a direct examination of your colon and uh, the the most likely thing is that you, like the majority of people, even though you're high risk, will probably have a normal result. Some people will have some changes which are like polyps or tags or they mm -hmm. look like, like warts. And some of these are associated with cancer development. So we remove those and then we screen you appropriately. You become a slightly higher risk individual yeah. and we create a program for you. Diet, exercise, lifestyle, all these things mm. contribute something. Uh, but there's not one thing that, uh, that does, does it all. So I would imagine that at this stage and uh, with all our, our services and so on, this should not really interfere with your life moving forward and i think that's what people want to know yeah if i'm the right thing will, will it fall through the cracks and the answer is a good health system won't let that happen and uh, and so we have to make sure that you're integrated into that that system now which will be your partner moving forward love this podcast how about you give us a positive review we love five stars can I share you? Can I share with you the actual like the results from last year? Even so, before yeah. I had did the gene type testing, so I did have a colonoscopy, and there were four. I had four precancerous polyps removed. Yeah, yeah. And then earlier that last year, earlier two thousand twenty-two, um, just as a general risk screening, my GP got me to do calcium score, and yes. was found to be descending. One of the, the arteries was, the score was 250, which is high, yeah? Yeah. 
and then carotid on the, and that was on the left and carotid on the, the left also is 49% occluded. Right, right. So there was already, already these signs, even though not a smoker used to drink, I would consider too much, not anymore, but that would have contributed to it. Plus also issues with blood pressure in the past as well, because it was measured at 200 over 100 at age 24. Wow. Mm. Wow. But extremely fit. Mm-hmm. Extremely fit and, um, and active and so on. So look, overall, a fantastic result because there's no damage and there's early detection. And yeah. like, like I said, uh, if, if you're serious about your health, and it's, you know, everyone's got a right to choose uh, how to live their lives. Mm. We, we hope that being healthy doesn't interfere with your lifestyle and we encourage everyone to be healthy. So, uh, you, you know, you choose the right path and enjoy longevity and uh, all the pleasures that life brings with it. Look, everything changes when you become ill. So I, I, I'm, mm. I'm so grateful that you've let me come on your show and speak to people to what, what we've just experienced and really what, what a simple journey that was yeah. from test to result to taking control. And, and that's the thing that the, um, the gastroenterologist said, my advice for you is to have a colonoscopy every year for the rest of your life and that will stay on top of it. So there's correct. straight away proactive. Um, and also I didn't factor in I only found out also because a couple of my liver enzymes were up and he said, hmm, and it was, it was quite funny because just out of the blue, he said, um, do you take drugs like heroin? <laughs> I, was quite, I was like, no, never. He said, okay, let's, and he tested and he said, yeah, you've um, heterozygous uh, hemochromatosis, which for people who don't know his story, but it's a, a genetic mutation where you, your body stores too much iron. I think we're going to have to donate your body to the university when you're done. <laughs> yeah. what, what an interesting history. Yeah, so look, mm. everyone's got something, a predisposition or an actual weakness and some sort of an enzyme. And no, you, you're a great example. Heterozygous means that one of your chromosomes is good and one is not that good. Mm. So in, in your case, what happens is, you're not completely out of action. You just have some issues with iron storage. And, you know, we need iron for the development of red blood cells. Mm. And, and I just donate blood every three months and I'm fine. That's right. So what happens is you have an overload of iron on your liver. And so by don- donating blood, you decrease those iron stores. And so uh, I just want to go back mm. to the polyp for a second. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of people like you who weren't smart enough or didn't have a GP clever enough to recommend a colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. They're probably your age or younger, and they may have these types of polyps as well. Yeah. So it kind of it's. I'm glad you had the colonoscopy. It showed the polyps. You had the test afterwards as a proof of concept. Yeah. And test supported your high risk. So let's say if it was in reverse order. And we, we gave that test to 40 men um, who had no idea that they were at risk. We'd probably pick up two or three, mm. probably do carry polyps. And uh, you, you may then 
prevent the, the, the problems that come with late, late, develop, uh, late detection. So uh, it happened in reverse, but the, the program to predict and intervene early would be something around what we just described. Yeah. For many, so right now, we've launched eight major diseases. And, you know, my family's got a lot of pancreatic cancer, so there was in particular interest mm-hmm. to prostate cancer, which is extremely common amongst mm-hmm. men, mm-hmm. Um, ovarian and breast cancer. I think our breast cancer product is particularly good. And what's interesting, and I, I may have mentioned last time on your show, people at high risk can actually take medications. There's some publications now that there are drugs like anestrozole or tamoxifen, which interfere with estrogen metabolism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they would prevent a large portion of cancers in women who are high risk. So there's all these things that we are discovering and uh, will be able to apply and hopefully reduce these numbers dramatically. But your know, heart disease, I've got a confession. I've got to stent myself, and you you would really? know it. I'm quite trim, and um, mm, you're very lean. I've always been quite active, and and it seems that some things, despite doing everything right, uh, are not right, and uh, they're silent. You've got no idea till it happens. And in my case, I had like an event, a heart event, which was like a collapse. And then when they investigated me, they found this problem in one of the arteries. So it, it, again, could that know, be stressed? Because that could that be even though eat well, stay active. Could that be excess stress that could bring that on? Well, certainly stress has been demonstrated quite clearly to be associated with heart problems. Mm. Uh, I think stress. If we could reduce stress universally, we would we would improve people's health dramatically. And uh, so, you know, that, that should always be part of the, the script, the script for well-being, mm. and the body and soul. And it, it doesn't hurt to be fit and to, to look well. Uh, it just it gives, you, it gives you that sense of purpose. So I, I hope that everyone uh, understands what I'm getting at. Well, the, the other thing is because the whole thing of the coronary calcium score a lot. Yeah. I looked into this because there was a lot of athletes with it. And from my neuroscience studies with, through neurophysics, we looked at the fact that there was, you know, that sudden death syndrome in athletes. And yeah. I'd like your thoughts on this because I, I've seen it, especially with the younger athletes, where they think they can just eat a whole stack of refined sugars because they're just going to burn it off. They stay really lean, but the effect it has on their body and then increasing the calcium score. And my understanding of it is that their system, systems became so acidic, especially if they were overtraining, if they were not composed when they were training, like a lot of mouth breathing and straining, then that increases cortisol, adrenaline too much. And because bone is the most, has the, the most, or calcium is the most alkaline, one of the most alkaline substances in the body, then just through that homeostatic mechanism of wanting to keep the blood pH at the right level, that's why the calcium was coming out into the, into the bloodstream. And because of the excess training and the 
sort of the, what they call the violence of the blood against, especially aortic arch and things like that, where the the, the blood hits that that burfication, that that crossroad, then they're getting damaged there, and then you get the cholesterol coming on to heal that, you know, block that lesion, and then you get calcium as well, and that's why they were getting these high calcium scores. Is that is that correct? That's what what was that's happening. A- it's a fantastic synopsis, uh, Isaac. And thank you for sharing with me. Look, it's not my area of expertise. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are very interested in, um, you called it, I think you called it sudden death mm-hmm. and critical first cardiac event. Mm-hmm. And when you don't get a second warning, and I don't know if you recall Crazy John. Uh, yes. Who unfortunately experienced one of these. Yeah. Crit- first cardiac events mm. and yeah in young athletes there's so many different causes and it could be associated with some sort of an abnormal uh, conduction pathway in the nerves that conduct the heart they may have some inherited deformities it's hard mm-hmm. for me to fall into one basket but there, there is, there, there does appear to be a larger number of professional serious athletes who suffer the consequences of these very catastrophic cardiac events. But uh, getting back to that critical first event, mm-hmm. there, there, there are clues emerging in your DNA, and we may be able to get to that stage where one day we identify so accurately that that the, the the risk of intervention. And don't forget, every action has a risk. So, putting in a defibrillator or some sort of a device has its own risk. But you'll get to that stage where your detection is so accurate that it, the the risk is is worth it, and you you might be able to avert that. You may have also noticed that a lot of workplaces advertise that they've got a defibrillator mm-hmm. on site, mm-hmm. and that out of the initiative to get to these people. I mean, if every Uber had one of these, Mm. I mean, that would be an absolute game changer and it wouldn't hurt Uber's reputation either. So Isaac, give them a call. Yeah. And that would be an absolute danger. Actually, can you uh, explain the defibrillator? Because the thing is, before I did my ever first aid course many decades ago, I was like everyone else thinking, like in the movies where it's like, you know, they rip the shirt off and go, clear, we're going to start the heart again. You know, it's like an electric shock. Could you explain people exactly what a defibrillator does? Yes. Look, when you collapse with a cardiac event, what actually happens is that the heart is either not pumping because it's just gone into limp mode mm-hmm. or it's actually just stopped altogether. It's mm-hmm. called an arrest. And uh, what we try and do, because the, the, the heart is a very complex bundle of muscles and nerves. So by using electricity, we can get those nerves working, stimulating the muscle. Mm-hmm. So if you get the rhythm right, and if you use the right amount of electricity, what actually happens is that you're able to get the heart back into normal rhythm. Mm. And what an incredible event that is. It's like a yeah. it's like a Jesus moment, you know, mm. when you're working, you're resuscitating someone and they go into what we call systole. 
from asystole. So they're not pumping to pumping, and it's uh, it's one of the greatest feelings uh, a clinician can have. So, um, what about if the what about if the heart is completely stopped? There's no beat at all. Asystole is very difficult, and uh, then that then you you are you are in trouble. Because the, so, the defibrillator won't be able to do anything. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So certain rhythms and look, the defibrillators now will automatically create. Sorry, I'm just parking. Sure. Will automatically create uh, the right uh, initiative for for that rhythm. So that's the beauty of uh, this technology mm. is that you don't have to be experienced. You just put it on. Uh, it comes with pedals. Uh, often comes with pads to protect the yeah. skin because. Event. And it talks you through it. It talks you through exactly what you need to do, which is brilliant. You know, the old CPR is a fantastic tool. What mm. a great tool. Yeah. And just pumping someone's chest, keeping them alive till experienced medicals or someone with the device turns up. And it's effective, you know. It's, yeah. it's pushing blood around the body and keeping the oxygen uh, flowing to the brain. And, you know, as long as you can do that, uh, there's a chance, there's hope. And yeah. uh, so, again, it's such an interesting area and uh, we digress. But we, so n very soon, I think we'll be able to predict who, who is at risk of this type of a heart problem or of that type of a heart problem. Mm. So we, today we just talked about two ways of having an arrest. One is because of a rhythm problem. And one is because of a coronary artery insufficiency problem. So not enough blood getting in. And, and then you have the classic heart attack where you grab your chest. Well, in both cases, you, you, you have the chest grabbing experience. So, well, I, this I, way, yeah, go on. It's better to talk about it than experience it. So, yeah, in, for once, sure. once, I, I, you know, people often, when they have a bad experience, come out of it, often, not always. And they become very motivated. We have to find a way of motivating them beforehand. And that's your job. Yeah. My job is to yeah. detect who's at risk. And your job is to motivate them to crave good health and celebrate it like nothing on earth. And actually, because I've completely dominated the conversation here, and we've got the wonderful Tinkerbell. And I want to bring her into it on this one point because – because yes, as a health coach and motivating people, but she has a concept that is really, really fantastic. And it's, it's radical self-responsibility. And so that to me, I've always said, you've got to get your mind right and your body will follow. And so to yeah. me, having that mindset and having someone like Tink to motivate people, and I actually wanted to ask her and then get your thoughts on this, Tink, where, how much would you say person's health is based on their, their mindset and that sense of, of personal responsibility. If you're ready to age young, discover the truth about accessing the fountain of youth and claiming your best ever health, check out our beautiful website at agerebels.com.au where you will find freebies, programs and more. Well, both from my personal experience, anecdotal, and also the studies that I've done, research that is expanding daily, I think it's 100% relevant. For example, getting an intuitive gut feeling that I needed to get my skin checked and finding uh, out yes. I had melanoma and then taking action, like we've been talking about, is taking action to 
remedy the issue or to prevent the issue uh, and it's scary and that is something a conversation I wanted to lean in to mm. with all, both of you is that from a user's perspective perspective on the DNA testing. It was actually very nerve wracking to do this as a patient. And I was also had some resistance at my GP Mm. in reference to this. They didn't know about it. They didn't understand it. They believed I was too healthy. I got told. Really? Yeah. And also not that I'm too healthy, but why would you need this? You're, they weren't in a preventative mindset. And I also requested blood tests as well to go along with this. And I was told, when I got my results, why do you even need these? Because I asked for them to have them on my files to take radical self-responsibility for my health and my results and to be able to compare them as I age. And I was told, you won't need another test for for the rest of your lifetime. You're that healthy. That's what I was told. So Very, very unfortunate and um, I I, I, I think dangerous to make statements like that. Yes. I I prefer to be a, a little bit more pessimistic. And uh, I'd rather be pessimistic and wrong than optimistic and wrong, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Well, my question for you, Doctor, is uh, just in reference to we all have to take responsibility of our nervousness of finding out something we might not want to know. And ignorance is not bliss in this situation. It is empowerment to be able to get this information and make decisions on it. Do you have a building database of general practice? practitioners who are working in alignment with you in the mindset of preventative medicine in this this beautiful cutting-edge technology that you're bringing forward? Well, the, the answer is that uh, it's so new that most doctors don't know about this product. So it was only released a few months ago. Mm. And um, the, the answer is that uh, there are not a lot of GPs who know about it. The data is all published and uh, the the tests were developed uh, from information gathered from the UK Biobank, which we I think we mentioned during the last podcast as well. Yes. Yeah. The revolution in medicine, the UK Biobank. They're so clever, those Brits, aren't they? Nobody else had the inside. <laughs> they had the inside, and good on them. We should celebrate that. But what it means is that the data is much bigger than the data that that you ever get when you develop a new drug or new technology. And so these genetic tests are actually much more sophisticated, much more accurate than anything in the market today. So no one does medical trials on drugs and tests, uh, databases, which have got hundreds of thousands of individuals. But having said that, because the data is published and there's so much stuff that's published, you actually have to create pathways whereby you present that information to doctors and say to them, look, this is the latest published data. We've searched the web on your behalf. If you're interested in preventative health, here is all the information that you need to give you confidence in that product. Wow. And that's that's You're doing why, the work for them, which is makes their life so much easier. Well, you kind of have to because yeah. you're competing with. Uh, look, there's there's hundreds of thousands of publications, and you you know when you look at the medical journals that we get as doctors as GPs, provided by the College of GPs, they try and sort of go through them and extract the most important articles. So even in in its simplest form, open 
your your community or your society's newsletter, you'll get information which is relevant to the, the more serious developments. They understand that you are completely unable to cope with all the information that's developed and published. And that's why we have drug reps. And uh, the thing about drug reps is that, you know, in, in the old days, it wasn't very scientific. Today, it's, it's all very scientific. And, and the, the way the trials uh, progress and the way the information is collected, it's as good as it's ever been. So once again, the newness of it is probably uh, the biggest problem right now. Uh, the, the next step for us as a company, and we're doing it currently with, I'm sorry, it skipped my mind, but we're doing a, a program in Queensland with one of the private hospitals there. Mm. They want, they're part of a chain of, I think, 30 odd hospitals. And uh, I should know the name. I'm, I'm, sorry. I'm so sorry. But uh, you'll probably read about this mm. in the paper for sure. Mm. And setting up. Australia's first preventative health uh, division within their hospital. Oh, that's so, so exciting. So that is, that is really, you know, when mainstream comes on board and mainstream can only come on board with published papers. This is, this is the way the system is. And if you don't work with that system, you're always going to be treated as a quack. And even mm. if you have good stuff and, and you saw with ivermectin, there was a lot of controversy and so on. Now, now published data is emerging and the discussion is a bit more targeted. And uh, look, it might even come out that uh, it is a, it was a reasonable drug. But the point I was for, for COVID, the point I'm making mm. is what hurt the story was data, the lack of data. Mm. And, you know, I still say that we're a health system traumatized by thalidomide um, yeah. in the 16th last century and and um, we, we really don't want anything like that to happen again. So look, I, I kind of I understand that, but it it should also give the user the confidence that groups like us, so we're very much part of a compliant, um, guideline-driven health system. But what we try and do is be cutting edge. Yeah. So we work in that we work in the system. And it's very expensive to work with the system. We and our, our investors are public money, so we're on the stock exchange in Australia as Genetic Technologies (GTG), mm. and in in the states we're listed on the Nasdaq as Gene G E N E. What a wonderful name! Yeah. And we spend ten million dollars a year, and a lot of that is on compliance, on trials, on demonstrating that what we do is that it represents best practice and then it's reproducible and it's accurate. And, and so by the time it gets to you with companies like us, we've spent 30 or 40 million on each test, but you should have the confidence and that confidence comes with a certification. Yeah. NATA, NATA is the Australian certifying body. CLIA is the American certifying body. Very hard to get both. So this is the quality of the product that we are one of the, I think one of two companies in the Southern Hemisphere to have clear certification for America for these genetic tests, which will be rolled out in America this year. So wow. I think you're hearing a story which is, um, you know, it's like lost in space. It's, it's a great story right now, but we're going to be unlost. We're going to be found 
and all that drama and, and the tragedy that comes with these terrible diseases. And you can see heart disease is just as horrible as cancers, you know, sudden yeah. death. You don't get a chance to say goodbye. That's how dramatic it is. Or things and like stroke where it's even worse, where you're completely disabled. Disabled, dysfunctional, unable mm. to express yourself. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you can avoid that, you mm. can't put it's just It's just such an incredible thing. So working together, we can do it. And uh, like, like I said, you, you got to spread the word, but you also have to walk the walk in, and you have to, if you commit to this, enjoy the commitment, enjoy the improvement in your health and uh, don't see it as a chore. See it as a great, great event and, uh, and celebrate it with your family. Never too young, actually. I'll just I'll throw that in then. Yeah. At the Vietnam War, there was an unusual number of young people who died uh, in that war. And so we had a lot of data, which we previously didn't have, about the health of young adults in America, eating an American diet, living an American lifestyle. And there was a catastrophic increase in the rate of heart disease in these young people. So that tells you already, we already knew 60 or 70 years ago how important lifestyle and diet were yeah. in managing the most serious disease in the world, the one that takes more, more lives than any other disease. So you could reverse most of heart disease, I'd say, with lifestyle. Yeah, and, with, with uh, diet and also I'm finding it more and more and more with stress. The recently did, I think and I both wore a continuous glucose monitor and that was really really interesting to see what would cause a spike and even a, a, a simple stress situation where I came close to having a car accident a car pulled out on me and I had to slam on my brakes and my blood glucose spiked to 10 momentarily bam and then back down but you can just see uh, unbelievable yeah 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 it was like huge so these sort of all of like the tests you've got there's so much testing and, and some people are like, oh, it's so expensive. I was like, no, it's like a drop in the ocean compared to the money and time and energy and suffering that you will incur once you get ill. And often it's reversible, especially if you're really bad type two diabetes and that sort of thing, which gene type tests for as well. If you love this podcast, tell your mum oh, and your dad and your grandpa and your friends. Well, you know, that continuous glucose monitoring sounds like a bargain to me. Oh, yeah. And again, how interesting that a single event can cause a spike. And you've got to remember, these spikes are exactly what, what they sound like. It's like a little spike causing damage. Mm. And it's boom, boom, boom. And imagine that happens hundreds of times every day, every time you get upset. Yeah. Every time cortisol goes up. Uh, so, you know, I went to India when I was um, uh, like 10 or 15 years ago, and I went to this uh, guru uh, who was a bit of a, he was a bit of a tripper, but one thing that he said, which was really mm -hmm. interesting, he talked about dynamic meditation. And what that meant was that you sort of meditate and try and feel positive and think good thoughts when you're dynamic. You don't stop, meditate, cross your legs, hold your hands and mm. find things. When you're going shopping, when you're talking to your kids, when you're at work, you should feel that happiness, that joy, push that cortisol down. 
Yeah. Continuous glucose monitor. Prove to yourself that there's less spikes. Mm. There's a proof of concept there, there and then. And if if you don't feel better, <laughs> seeing a great outcome, less spikes, less stress, less worry, right? Mm. Then then I, I'll be very surprised. I'll, I'll I'll debate you anywhere, anytime. If you don't feel better when that happens, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, especially in traffic, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so or when you're on the call, a government call waiting for something. <laughs> <Yes>. so, <laughs> or the bank. That was me yesterday. <laughs> so dynamic meditation mm. is that, that term that means all the time, every minute, if you're awake, if you're active, if you're washing dishes, if you're, you know, uh, whatever your job is, if you're loving it. And, you, you know, you actually see some people when – you go here and there, you see some individuals who are extraordinarily or appear to be extraordinarily happy and they're doing jobs that you've seen a dozen other people do and don't seem to be extraordinarily happy. So obviously some people have got that gene and that ability to enjoy every second. So I, I urge people because the doctor gets closer to the microphone when he says that things, <laughs> will, get, things will get worse. Trust me, enjoy every second. Yeah, mm, yeah. Well, and message. what you spoke about is like I want the way I get people to train where it's not a excessive stressful event, even if it's high intensity, to maintain that calm, maintain that composure, do it like Tai Chi with weights, things like that. And that will, and that I've, even when I had the continuous glucose monitor, things like that, where I would watch, I would experiment with it, which is, I know it's an only a, it's an unbiased um, test, but I could see the glucose spike if I started to train the old way of gritting my teeth and straining and mouth breathing. So, and, but when I'd have the same intensity, but with a more calm approach that glucose didn't go up as high. That, that is so interesting mm. because, you know, these weightlifters and we don't know if it's diet and it could very well be the stress of the exercise that's creating that cortisol surge and, mm. and the problems. So, you know, so number one, you've got to be aware. If you're not aware, you can't do anything about it. Yeah. Number two, you need to have a tool that allows you to monitor. Mm. And you've created this wonderful relationship between yourself and the glucose monitor. And my instinct is, this is really interesting. And, you know, I, I've never thought of healthy people monitoring their own glucose. And, and as we said before, trying to do better. And uh, this gives you unbiased, accurate data about something that has serious impact on your health and well-being. I, I love mm. it. You might think that. Well, Dr. Be- Dr. Michelle <laughs> Woolhouse, who's, who's behind this, and she went on a, a webinar, a Q&A, and she was saying that with her healthy patients, diet has minimal impact on their glucose levels, but it's what she found is the biggest thing is excess stress that is the killer at the moment so hearing that and then people can be proactive with regard to like what you spoke about in a more mindful approach to life fantastic i look i love that that look can you send me her link i will yeah yeah she because she's a fantastic holistic doctor and she said something on her podcast i remember in 2014 i still quote her to this day she said what i'm about to say is not a criticism, it's a statement of fact, that a medical school, we are taught disease management. 
not health and wellness. So if you want to be a health and wellness GP medical practitioner, you need to go out and learn other modalities like nutritional medicine, herbal medicine, meditation, these sort of things, if you really want to be proactive. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely agree. You know, I mean, just what a wonderful type of medicine that is, you know. And um, look, 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 there's going to be disease and, and that's just a fact. Yeah. But to, to guide people through that journey and to sign up to disease prevention rather than disease management, I, 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 look, I just I can't think of anything better. That's that's the type of medicine I really want to want to uh, practice. But look, the reality is, I I don't want to sound too much one way, because I'll throw in a story about a situation it, uh, where someone had a disease and and treat was was treated, and it was a it was a, a life changing event. So I don't want to sound too lopsided. But mm-hmm. my dream to prevent, you know, my dream is to. Um, never experienced disease for as long as I live, and yeah. uh, hopefully I'll. Um, and having said that, I think that's the way medicine's going. You know, they've got these liquid biopsies which are around the corner, and what that means is that let's say you've got a high risk of colorectal cancer. Yeah. Right now, what we do is we look at your colon, and we also check for blood, blood in the stools, mm-hmm. and blood blood changes in your circulation. Yeah. We'll be able to do a blood test which looks for minute amounts of cancer DNA circulating in your body. Wow. And that be the earliest way to detect disease, even before it's visible to the naked eye uh, or through the colonoscope eye. Mm. And uh, so, uh, again, these are around the corner innovations which will lead to early detection. And I think. And, and of course, the, the the dream is that CRISPR will get in there one day before you're even born, and it deals with all the hereditary and familial issues, and then it's just lifestyle. After that, it's all in your hands. Uh, we've we've fixed your genetics to the point that they are not going to interfere with early loss of life. That'd be pretty cool. And until then, because I, what I reckon, and that's why I'm you know having you on, I want to promote your wonderful work with gene type with the DNA testing and we talked about the continuous glucose monitor I say to people it's it's an act of su- supreme self-respect it's not like oh I've got to be healthy and I shouldn't eat bad etc it's like no it's like it's 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 really respecting your being and knowing that we have a mortal body and if you don't look after it then who wants to fall apart yeah absolutely absolutely correct and uh, I'm going to do the glucose monitors and maybe next time yeah, you uh, have me on the show. I can talk about my experiences, and I can tell you how our new hereditary breast and ovarian cancer test is doing. Mm. Um, and uh, hopefully, I can have some GPs in the next uh, uh, four or six weeks in all states, so Queensland, New South Wales, etc. We'll be offering our tests, or at least we'll be able to uh, guide you as to whether these tests are appropriate for you or not. And uh, so that'll be a great discussion. And so I hope we can chat again uh, in a couple of months' time. That'd be great because there, a lot of people are not aware of this, but in the last 25 years, like it used to be, what, one in four people experience cancer in their life. Now it's half the population will get cancer at some point in their life. So 
we know it's lifestyle pollution, stress, these sort of things, but to be ahead of it and know what your risk is, to me, seems like a no-brainer. And for people, it's like, if you don't think you have the money, just have a look at what you're prioritizing you're spending your money on. And if you can, you know, spend $500 on a, on a genetic test, that's an investment for the rest of your life. Mm, absolutely. It's an investment in life. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, look, I think that what's interesting is the government's already paying for some genetic tests. So the government believes that it's in the health system's interest to understand your genetic risk. And, and mm. these are the very, very high risk groups. Yeah. So the trial that we're currently doing with Melbourne Uni, if successfully, uh, if we can successfully demonstrate the same thing for non-inherited disease, there's a good possibility that the government will support these tests as well with Medicare reimbursement, and they'll be part of the guideline. Right. So it makes it always makes it easier when something is in the guideline. Uh, again, number one, you get reimbursement, so that's a hurdle that's removed. Mm. But the confidence, the confidence that you have in the product, that it's gone through rigorous, rigorous assessments. And, you know, we've, we've got a fantastic health system and, you know, you can always improve a health system, but, in, you know, all credit to to what we've got when you really need to yeah. to see someone when it's, when it's on the edge, life or death, our, our health system looks after you no matter what, whether you're rich or poor. Well, all three of us have experienced that where we've had issues that could have been life-threatening and we got it before it took us out. Yeah, so that's I'm, I'm really thrilled. And, uh, you know, I actually, I trained at the Alfred Hospital and I live almost next door to the Alfred Hospital and I get pleasure every day looking at it with mm. these wonderful memories. And uh, I, I feel secure that our health system is able to deliver. But it will be better. And uh, certainly from what I can see, the regulators are seriously looking at preventative health. Trust me, we, we recently presented, our CEO, Simon Morris, recently presented um, in, in Canberra, I think it was last week, actually, uh, on the 6th or the 5th or the 6th of September, and was extremely well received by uh, a lot of the senators, especially some of the, the women senators who, you know, that, that they have first-hand experience of the challenges of hereditary breast and ovarian to cancer and specific female cancer. So it was a great meeting. And, and look, I wouldn't be surprised if the government sort of takes the initiative and uh, will sponsor more trials to allow us to introduce this to the GPs. And look, the GPs have got a right to be sceptical, but I can assure you that five minutes with me in a room yeah. will not in the damage, any damage to them, but I, I will be able to convince them very easily. Well, the data doesn't lie. Yeah, well, that's right. And uh, the published data in reputable journals is the way we share information amongst each other as professionals. So that's, that's our Telegram uh, network, published papers. And of course, the more prestigious the published network is, like the Lancet, the uh, uh, or the American Medical Journal, Medical Association journals, and so on, um, the more likely we are to adopt these as uh, policy. So uh, that, awesome. that, I'm just giving you a little snapshot of, of how the system works. Yep. And I think it's a, actually a very fair system. I wish it was just a little bit faster 
and a little bit cheaper because yeah. the, the costs are going up, which means that small innovative companies are finding it harder uh, to do it alone, which means we're kind of dependent on on the bigger companies. They're very slow to move big companies. They're kind of they're ultra, ultra conservative. Mm. So we want to keep that sort of pioneer spirit in medicine. And and one thing that we do really well in Australia actually is is we understand that these small companies have issues. And so the government actually gives very attractive subsidies to small companies that are doing genuine uh, research um, Australian driven and Australian developed technology and uh, and w we are one of those companies we do get some assistance from uh, government Good. Uh, reimbursement for uh, money spent on research and development we're very grateful for it. great initiatives and you know I think it's made Australia one of the powerhouses in new technology you know that everything that's new that's happening around the world we're either getting it at the same time or we're not far behind. So um, I'm very excited about the future, the immediate future. Well, hopefully um, over the next few years, we start to see a heck of a lot more preventative testing, knowing that long-term it's going to save, have a look at the politicians, yes, bottom line, money, so it's going to save you a truckload of cash, but heck of a lot of suffering and pain too. So, I'll guarantee you. George. Think yeah, well, I'll yes. guarantee you. Yes, I'm with Good. you. <laughs> Thank you so much again for your time and the wonderful test that definitely yes. showed the risks that I have and the prevention that I need to put in place and think average risk, but she's a healthy little bunny boo. So. <laughs> no, it just inspires me more actually to stay on top of my health and keep it as my number one value and the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning and I'm really, really excited about everything that you're doing in this arena and also extremely excited and honoured to be able to talk to you again in a couple of months for another update on the glucose uh, monitor yes. from your experience and, and your knowledge as well. It's going to be exciting to chat about that. Absolutely. I've learned something today as well. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Thanks again, George. Thanks, guys. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Bye. If you love this information and you'd love to get your genes tested to find out your own risk factor, then please head to genetype.com for all the information you're going to need to get started. That is genetype.com. Thanks for joining this podcast. Want to take the conversation further and learn more about how to live an energised and pain-free life as you age? Then jump into our website at agerebels.com.au. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Age Rebels Revolution. Mm -hmm.